Hi, friends. 293. So close to 300. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? I'm trying to think if I like the number 293. I don't. Mm -hmm. That's the worst number ever. What? I like the end of it, but I don't like the beginning. Why would you like three? Well, oh my God, it's my favorite number. Speaking of which, it is almost my 33rd birthday, which is my favorite number two times. Oh, so you think it's going to be lucky? For some reason, I'm more excited about this birthday than I've been about any others. Well, and it's like your Jesus birthday. That's when he, if you, you're going to outlive Jesus. Is that true? (laughs) Okay. So I really do think there's something like, you know, well, that let's, fingers crossed. (laughs) Right. What do you think is going to happen this year? Well, no, I just think it's interesting, you know, like a lot of times, mm, it's interesting how like sometimes stories in the Bible are kind of like yeah. metaphors yeah. for things that happen in life and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, so I think like there's some, there really is something about a phase of life change when you're like in your early thirties. Yeah. It's funny because I was just reading this book. Uh, it was actually about food, but it was talking about. Pythagoras and how that he's the reason we eat three meals a day because he believed like in this rule of threes and blah, blah, blah. And so that's why we eat that many times a day. And I, it's kind of what you're saying where numbers are really important to people and are Mm -hmm. significant. And a lot of people think that they are more important than just like a symbol. It's, you know, math and all that. I mean, you know, of course it's math, but like balance and blah, blah, blah. Because if you take the number away, like, I think in our mind we separate, this is going to sound super, like, try to follow me here, (laughs) but you can try to, like, separate numbers from objects, but they're still almost, like, the same thing. Like, we only think of a number as different than, like, anything else that we interact with physically because, it like, you write it and it's on a piece of paper or something, but it's still, like, I don't know, it's it's weird. It's, like... It's a symbol. Yeah. The same way anything else, the same way a sun is a symbol, yeah. the same way anything else is a symbol. So the, the same way we have relationships with symbols, and those can create different feelings yeah. and different emotions. And, and even like a bunch of symbols together, isn't that art? So isn't a bunch of numbers together, which are symbols, kind of art, art and like beautiful and artistic? Can you believe how deep we are? Dude! <laughs> Guys, and is this like over your sort head? Of made sense. <laughs> I hope. All right, when you are moving into this thirty third birthday, that is crazy that you're getting that old, man. But I know, like, I, when am I going to start feeling like a grown up? Uh, and when am I going to stop saying the word grown up? I really wonder that. And it, somebody sold us a bill of goods about growing up because it's you not a thing, right? <laughs> There is no moment. Because we never... You know when I feel like I'm old? Or not old, but, you know, relatively, but speaking. um, When I am driving and I see a new driver. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, what the fuck is that child doing behind the wheel? It seems unnatural that they would be allowed to operate a machine like that. Oh, forget (laughs) it. Please. The fact that... You know what? I'd like to just put this on the record. The fact that we allow... These people, these teens, <laughs> these to, teens. At, at, teens at a time in their life when their brain is, uh, yeah, like, it's totally unsafe. Malfunctioning. Yeah. <laughs> malfunctioning. We're gonna give them a a tank to operate. <laughs> tank. 
<laughs> right. It really is like a military tank. You are not joking. With devices in their hands so they're basically flying blind. I mean, please. I feel like when, when your adrenaline and your impulse control, when adrenaline is the highest, yeah. impulse control is the lowest. Yeah. That's the time we're going to let them start driving. They handle it really well, though. Yeah, sink or swim. <laughs> they have no choice. <laughs> My yeah. sister is um, helping her son who is learning to drive, and they have like a student driver thing on their bumper because, you know, you need to. And yeah. she's like, it's terrible where she, by the time she gets out, it, it really is literal white knuckling it. <laughs> and he's I'm never gonna be able to be in the car and, and like he's unfazed it doesn't he's not nervous at all and she thinks she's Which is going even worse. to die yeah see they have no fear yeah it hasn't even said oh my god and you know what it's like yeah yeah I oh when my was god. your first accident oh knock on wood Sus. never for real for real, That's like maybe knock on wood. the most surprising thing you've ever said. That I've never been in an accident? Yes, because you, I mean, you're a very safe driver, but it's almost here's, like you're too cautious. That's, here's why, here's why I'll tell you. <laughs> no, oh, I am a little too cautious. Like, I, I'm not the one who's going to be jetting out. Like, yeah. yes, I understand yes. that. And I'm, I like, am not driving over the speed limit. And I'm going to judge you terrible. if you do. It I'm is in terrible the to be know, a passenger in her car. <laughs> because I'm, it's terrible because I follow all the rules. Oh, geez. <laughs> Gosh darn. Isn't that the, the worst? No, but I really think um, uh, <laughs> it's because, okay, the same way in school, my ADHD is, like, super bad. So I have to do all these things to go above and beyond yeah. to make sure that I could pay attention, like sit in the very front to make sure I'm like writing everything down instead of taking notes on a you know computer and then like answering a lot of questions. It's the same thing when I'm driving. Like in order to like I almost overcompensate, so I'm like sitting up yeah, super it's like straight, 10 and I'm, like, two. so close to the wind, ten and two, <laughs> making sure I'm checking my mirrors because I gotta make sure that I'm doing it right. So that and as soon as I started taking medication, I was like. Damn, I am a good driver. I mean, you're very focused. Now now I was like, you know, didn't work, like I was able to focus on just one thing at a time and I felt like a Formula 1 like na- or NASCAR racer. <laughs> it is so frustrating though if you're like me, I'm an aggressive driver and mm-hmm. to be in the passenger seat I'm always like, "Go, Sarah." <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes people out there, Susie will honk your horn for you. <laughs> When I'm in the passenger seat, yes, I reach over. She's and like, "Oh, for Pete's sake!" <laughs> you know what? I can't. I have to control that, but I can't. I have a very hard time. Oh, it's so funny though, because I'm not. I don't even know. Oh my god! I think I've used my car horn one time in probably the last four years. Like Come for real. On. But here's when I did I mean, it. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. It is so awful. The other day, it was just like two weeks ago. This guy wasn't moving at the light, and for a long time, I'm laying on my horn. I have my music loud. A freaking ambulance goes. Right <gasps> the one time I lay on the horn, and this guy's <laughs> no. like, "Shut the fuck up, lady." No. 
Yes, Zeus. Yes. <laughs> I was mortified. And there were like a bunch of people, a bunch of people in their cars around me. I was like putting my hand up like the, no, the You didn't. You didn't. I got, it's, sorry. Sorry. You know, like that, the, the really. That's so great. <laughs> Leave it to you. The one time you use your horn to be out of turn. This is why I don't do right. it. This is why. See, this is why I don't. I just, just. <gasps> that is so funny. And like, you'll be like, yes, uh, it takes me two hours to get home. And I'm like, it would take me an hour. <laughs> for sure because you really do go the oh speed limit yeah like it's a bad thing i mean oh, even yeah. the police would expect you to go 10 percent more yeah sometimes i push it at like five miles over oh my like god I'm, but only in the on the freeway because that makes you're sense. so laid back i don't i can't relate <sighs> no it's the opposite i'm just all right but let's talk about something we do love which is mm-hmm. Our Fabletics leggings. Mm. Fabulous. (laughs) Every time I put mine on now, I think about how we all of a sudden realize like, oh, that's why they call it Fabletics. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I know. I I was like, oh, God, Sarah, come on. I am literally wearing mine right now. I used our code. Oh, same, actually. Really? Yes. What kind are you wearing? Are you wearing the... The the leopard. Yes. Very cute. Well, I never... God, I'm always wearing these. The Fabletics leggings... For me, I get the high-waisted because I feel, well, I just love high-waisted stuff, but it also like holds your tummy in, which I think yes. is really nice when you're active. Um, but they're so, I've become a legging person. I never was before. Didn't, I was always it, a Even in a previous person. episode, you were like, I don't do spandex. And now you're like, well, yeah, now I'm like, leggings, oh. welcome into my life. Why well, I never understood what was so great. <laughs> now I get it. Oh, that's it. Now you're on board. Well, I'm like, these are comfortable, and I have legs that look cute in leggings. Yes. I mean, I don't have cute everything, but my legs are all right. So I'm like, cool. let's show those babies off. And some Fabletics. Um, yes, Fabletics. So you can join. Um, they have, like, VIP perks where you get 50% off regular prices. You get free shipping and all kinds of other stuff. Um but for me, it's just like these are affordable athletic pieces that whether you're just going to the coffee shop or, you know, if you're at home with your kids or or if you're actually going to the gym like a healthy person, then it's so great. And you can look cute and be wearing functioning clothes. And they have a special deal for you guys. Are you excited? Um, you can get the two pair of leggings for only $24. Damn, so that is so good. It, yeah, it's a $99 value. And so you're getting each pair for only 12 bucks when you sign up for the VIP um, program. And to get that, you just go to brain, I'm sorry, fabletics.com slash brain candy. And you can go check out all the, di- they have so many different kinds. And then I told you last time I got the lounge pants, which are super cute. Ooh, they have these yeah, really cute. Those like jogger kind of yeah. style. Yeah. I yeah. really love those. So make sure you go to fabletics.com slash brain candy to get that two leggings for only $24, um, which is the $99 value when you sign up for the VIP program. Uh, there you go. Just on the um, growing up thing, I did read recently about how Michelle Obama was talking mm-hmm. about when she was interviewed by Oprah, she was saying how she hates the question that people ask kids when they say, what are you going to be when you grow up? Yes. I thought that was she really wrote, she helpful. She wrote about that in her book. Yeah. That was good to read because I never, I always ask kids that and I never thought about right. why that might be limiting or putting sort of this idea that growing up is a destination thing. Well, and also 
that there's a judgment, I think, from the parents or from the person, whoever's asking the question, depending on what the kid answers. Right. Even if they don't realize it, body language is, you know. What do you think is an acceptable question that's better, though? Would you say, like, uh, what kind of job would you like to have? I would say even, like, what kind of things do you like to do? You know, mm. more of, like, what things, what things, you know, are fun for you. Why do you think, though, we can't talk about the future with them? No, I think you can. I definitely think you can. What kind of jobs would you like to have one day? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah. I, I love hearing their answer. It's always fun. Be- I remember this was one of the most, oh, I just like remember this moment so vividly in my mind. Well, a little bit because I probably gave this answer a little bit because I'm a people pleaser. But <laughs> I was uh, probably like six or seven years old. And we were flying somewhere. My mom took us, me and my brothers. You know how they do that thing where they invite the kids up to, like, meet the pilot and get oh, those yeah. little airline yeah, wings? Yeah. Or at least they used yeah. to. So the plane, they're like, oh, come up and meet the pilot. So I come up there and he goes, hey, would you like to be a pilot one day? And I was like, no, but I'd love to be one of those, like, ladies with the cart, like the stewardesses. Yeah, yeah. And my mom looked at me and was like, oh, no, you wouldn't. <gasps> like, that, like, something like that. And I remember, like, my – I still remember that moment because – and she didn't mean anything sure. by it, I'm sure. But in my heart, I was like – well, but that I would really like to do that. And like, right. what's wrong with wanting to do that? And what if like, and it makes sense because I'm in the service industry sort of still, <laughs> you know, I'm like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What, you know, it just looks different. And we're, you know, right. But she thought you were saying that because you thought you had to, cause you were a woman maybe. Or, or she was thinking like, you don't want that job because it's like beneath you or it's not uh, yeah. Or something like that. I don't know what, but in my little kid mind, I just remember being like, ouch. I really wish. Well, I guess I can't do that. I truly wish that we knew as parents, what was going to be that thing that your kid remembers. (sighs) Right. I have so many of them that are like weird ones. Yeah. That's the thing. You can't predict them either. What's your, what stands out for you is like that, that traumatized, I mean, I still can't get over that coin purse thing. That they threw away <laughs> I your can't believe happy you face remember that. Coin purse. I, I'm so sad about it for you. Most of my memories re- with my parents are about when I could successfully make them laugh. Oh. My dad was really funny and I was always really proud of myself when I could get him to actually laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was usually when I was mean. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So we can see that imprint over time. That's funny. Um, But I was with my, my, I just got back from New York, as you know, and my mom was with us. And I mean, it's weird how that parent child relationship stays over time, you know? Yeah. Well, unless you, that there's work from the parent and from the child, it, it does not, it stays parent child, but it really needs to transform into parent adult. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of adult, adult, because when they're really the only, the only thing keeping a parent and a child together after the age of eighteen is the relationship. Right. There's no legal yeah. reason. There's no you know financial. Financial doesn't like really. You you can cut all ties. Yeah. It's just the quality of the relationship. So unless the quality of the relationship is worked on or looked at. 
you know. Yeah. Or it won't. if you just keep it the same, right? Then that you just stay because of that. It's like yeah, built in. Ugh. Yeah, it's stupid. I feel like a kid. Do you feel like a kid sometimes? Like you can't assert your like in a way. In no, your mind, it's you the feel opposite. Like... I've always been like her parent. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I should say. You're, you fall into the same role you were in when you were a yes, child. Yes, exactly. Regardless of... Age. Age and regardless of who's like the quote-unquote adult in the relationship. You know, like yeah. doing the, the more responsible one. You just had responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But I was telling Sarah um, before we started recording how cold it is. Um, I mean... Oh, my God. It's way colder now that, you know, we're not there. Actually, it got colder after we left, but... I just cannot deal with. I don't know how I lived in Pittsburgh that long. It is so ungodly. What and I heard it only takes about two weeks before your blood kind of <laughs> yeah. gets used to wherever yes. your environment is. And so you're California blood now. I know. I read an article, and I think it was the Atlantic. It was about like why we, why we can't get used to being cold, and it does say that the only cure for that is more exposure. Oh. That's misery. Yeah. <laughs> it takes at least 10 God. days of exposure before you are even a little bit comfortable with it. Oh, hell to the no. No, right? Oh, my God. Well, which challenge did you do where it was cold? Didn't you do one? Or which one? Several? Well, the worst one isn't the one you think it is. <laughs> the worst was Namibia, Africa. Oh, wow. It was freezing. Night. Oh, yeah. It was fucking freezing oh my god sorry linda i've already said the f word three oh my times god, today linda. i don't know what it is <laughs> i don't either you worked up no not at all maybe it's like i bring out the best in you <laughs> yeah something like that i just got like bde today and it comes with some purse orders BDE. i guess well anyhow yeah the, but yeah it was freezing at night freezing and it's one of the foggiest places in the world oh wow that's a fun and fact believe it or not like they're it's so strange you know they were they were telling us and i i did not look this up so this is just the information i got from the yeah. people who were there but they said that uh there's a drought so there's a water shortage there but there's also the most the most fog anywhere in the world there or one of the top places so they're trying scientists are trying to figure out a way to capture the moisture from the fog and oh make it gosh. so it's drinkable because they're in this weird thing where at night it becomes so cold right. and so foggy but during the day it's so hot and dry there's no freaking water oh my that's it I'm, I'm surprised they haven't figured out how to you know, Solving. yeah, right. Maybe they have, right. Maybe they have. Since it's you've been, been it's there been like 10 years since I was on there. So, um, yeah, but no, that night was the coldest because we were wet and I don't even think that the crew knew just how cold the temperatures would drop yeah. because I was wearing a camelback or pack or I yeah. still don't know how to say that word. Yeah. And it froze <laughs> on my back. <gasps> Shut up. The water wouldn't come out of the straw. And what I was wearing, the and also oh we had God. been running all day long, so you're sweaty. Right. That's and the worst combination. You couldn't take off layer. You know, you wanted to keep your layers on. Like, I couldn't decide what to do. Um, I was only wearing leggings, shorts on top of it, and just like regular, like leggings, like Under Armour, but not like cold weather Under Armour Okay, leggings. that is not safe. Shoes, the shoes we had were leftover shoes from when we were in the Dominican Republic, and they're like the mesh size. Oh, yeah, so, you said and that. And then socks, so my feet are wet. So I got wet feet, 
Then I got, you know, pants. Then I got our tiny, teeny tiny shorts on top. Then like a long sleeve shirt. And then my shirt on top. And then they gave us a beanie. Okay. That's insane. End of clothing list. And my (laughs) water is freezing on my back. And that was just the end. That's like how you had to deal with it. I was, that was the worst night of my life, hands down. Oh my God. And my period started that night. And they wouldn't give me anything for it. Wow. That's like fucking torture. Oh, my God. That's fourth, four. Five. Fourth F word. This Damn. is a new record here on the Brain Candy this Podcast. Is, what is the deal? I love okay, it. I'm going to have to substitute. I'm gonna no, have to substitute I love Sassy Sarah. Oh, when, yeah, she is out in full force. When today. we were in New York, we had a free morning. And um, I had the great idea of going to see Lady Liberty. And because I oh, yeah. have never actually done that where you take the boat oh, and you go see cool. the whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Peg, my mom, she's like all in for any tourist oh, crap. Oh my gosh. And so yeah. I was like, this is going to be great. It was a beautiful sunny day, but it was really cold. And you go on a mm. boat and you, it's kind of Whoa. like, it's not open air, but you know, it's really, it's not heated, the boat. And oh, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, it's like got that cover like thing. Like the ferry, and you go over. Yes, yes, yes. And by the time we got there, because it takes so long um, to wait in line and then get there, we probably were on that island <laughs> 10 minutes, and I was like, get me the fuck off Ellis Island, or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, I, I kept thinking about how... Because the wind wind was fifteen to uh, fifteen miles per hour, which is really yes. fast. And I kept thinking, like, she is a beacon of hope for millions of people. And I was like, I'll never see her the same again. I truly oh. thought I was going to die. I started crying. Oh, because there was this you're highly of- sensitive person, <laughs> and this is not good for you to be out and have so many senses exposed. <laughs> well, and I kept worrying. Like, I had my son, and I thought. What yeah. do you do when you're on an island and you, you have to wait for the boat? It's not like you can just leave whenever you want. <sighs> and there was this sense of fear. And I can only imagine, because it's similar, believe it or not, on the challenges, because you have this feeling of like, yeah. when will be the yeah. next moment be that I'm comfortable and you don't know yes. the answer? And you're, it's out of your control. Yeah. And so you're feeling more than just cold. Mm-hmm. You're feeling the emotions of being exactly. out of control. And you have your son with you. Yeah. And you're thinking about like, because this article that popped up on CNN was like, yes, wind chill is dangerous. Yes, it can hurt you. Like, yeah. there are dangers. Like, hypothermia sets in in like minutes yeah. now yeah. if you're outside. So you got your, there's too many things going, too many emotions. Thank so, you, Sarah. I, of course you were overwhelmed. I also feel overwhelmed at how much I love Brooklyn and sheets. Oh, well, you know what? Instead of being freezing, you can cuddle up in your cozy warm bed. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, who doesn't love to crawl into the perfect luxurious sheets that we know and love that are Brooklyn in? And they look so cute. And they were named best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. Please... What's what do I have to do to get you to understand? And basically, the situation is that they've cut out the middleman and they have made these luxury sheets affordable for you. And you can mix and match patterns, which I love. And they get better the more you wash them and use them. And 
our Brooklinen sheets are the best ever. They're the most comfortable sheets we've ever slept on. And now it's time for your upgrade. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code BRAIN at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code BRAIN at Brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BRAIN. Brooklinen are the best sheets ever. That was a good segue. Did you like that? Sure was. Thanks. Yeah. I you just visualize a warm bath and then you'll get toasty. I want to know what you think of Ariana Grande's tattoo debacle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my Okay, here's my one of my favorite parts is that, yeah, I think it was yesterday I, I saw the article on CNN that was like, Ariana Grande gets a hand tattoo that doesn't mean what you think it, it does. And then this morning I wake up and look at CNN. And it's like Ariana Grande fixes hand tattoo, <laughs> <laughs> and I just laughed. I was like, I you know, I was like, is this the same arc? Oh no, no, no! <laughs> That's so funny. And her response was pretty good. Yeah, I gotta she say, she took it well. She did. And then she was like, well, and also, I do like tiny grills, <laughs> right? She loves small barbecues. Yes, that was it. I do like tiny barbecues, right? I mean, so as somebody who has a tattoo from another language i understand this problem i mean i happen to get it correct but there really is like you really don't know unless you speak that language and read that language and somebody wrote underneath her picture like it serves her right for using someone else's culture as an accessory and Mm. i was wondering what you think of that because i had never thought about that i just think that some script is more beautiful than others and that, you know, it does, it's not necessarily appropriation, but, um, what do you think? Hmm. That's a tough one for me, you know, cause I do kind of see it mm-hmm. and I understand what they're saying. Uh, you know, I feel like, would you like, if, if you saw somebody in an Asian country with the English word, you wouldn't think oh, that would be weird, no. but you wouldn't but think it was offensive. Th- no. Oh my gosh. No. I would just be like, that's kind of stupid. That on you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, but the, I think it's, I think it has something to do with making it cryptic. Yeah. So it's more like not wanting other people to know what it is. Well, cause so as you, you said earlier, it's a symbol yes. and symbols can oh. be significant and beautiful in a way that, you know, yes. maybe your native tongue wouldn't be. Yes. You know, and I like, as long as there's a respect and here's what I would not approve. And okay. like, you know, like my, like me okay. approving it. Like I'm like the stamp. <laughs> this is like, check your privilege, Sarah. But for whatever it's worth, if you are a racist dickhead who <laughs> says like, right. oh, you know, whatever. And then you get a tramp stamp with a Chinese symbol yeah. or a Japanese yes. character yes, yes. or whatever. I mean. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Get, Kick rocks. Kick rocks. Well, I was reading about the gal um, who started, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, where she was mad at Colbert and she created that cancel Colbert um, hashtag that started trending because oh. Colbert's show had done a satire, um, satirical tweet where they said such and such, they used the phrase ching chong ding dong. Oh, but they yeah. were satirizing people that 
we're actually being racist. And so yeah. they did. They were talking about what happened to her after she created this hashtag and how she got death threats and um, she was treated really badly. And I wondered, because I kind of thought she was in the wrong, but I'm not Asian, so what do I know? Um, and so it was more about the pylon that can happen yeah. when you do yeah. something online. Like, even if you think what you're doing is the right thing to do, you might end up being getting death threats and all this stuff. And I don't know. It just stuck with me. And I do feel like people are starting to feel like they can't say anything right. Like Colbert is fighting the good fight, but even she's mad at him too. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. What do you think? What do we know? Yeah, man, that one is so tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I have to know more about the context and the story and the, what was said to like, you know, yeah, have a, a side or whatever, but you know, oh gosh, there's a part of me that, I mean, I love making fun of white people. It's like my favorite thing to do. I, I do too, but that's what Colbert was doing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's why I'm okay. like, that's, I, I do get that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. I don't know. It's complicated, but it. Like, I'm always like in, in the middle of my supervision. I'm always like, yeah, because the white man. I'm there all. <laughs> Sarah's anti-white <laughs> people. I, so, you know what? <laughs> I mean, the ones who, who got it wrong, I'm not anti. I just feel like there's a long way to go, people. Yeah. Well, but, at any rate, you know. what, with regards to Ariana Grande, do you think oh, that yes. she, you know, what she did was disrespectful or just stupid or mm, neither stupid or neither? I think it's neither. Okay. I say what else? Yeah. You know what I think is stupid? <gasps> oh, <laughs> the Australian model who got Harry Styles tattooed on oh, her Sarah. cheek. Sarah. I can't dude. Suze, I'm having a hard time sitting still in my seat. I'm squirming so much thinking about how the regret that she's going to feel in five minutes. I don't What's know. Wrong I don't know. No, Sue's manic pixie dream girl right there. No. Yes. I don't think she's I, mentally stable. No, no. There's something wrong with her brain. Yes. Because that's, uh, that's not. When, like, she's like, she's nuts. Because how could she. I can understand if she got it on her body. No. no I mean, no, if, I insane. wouldn't do that, but it's like, okay, I get it. But on your cheek. No, I can't with that. Do you think she just wanted attention? No, I think she has. Oh my God, no! It's not fair to like say what people have. Like, there's like some. Well, oh okay, God. but wait, 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 wait. I think she has histrionic disorder. What's that? Like, histrionic. It's like it's kind of like a. Let me see what the DSM definition of it, so I can pull it up. Uh, it's kind of like histrionic personality disorder. Okay. It says um, they have high, they have good social skills despite tending to use them to manipulate others and ma- into making them the center of attention. Mm. Uh, their characteristics include exhibitionist behavior, constant seeking or reassurance of approval, excessive sensitivity to criticism or disapproval, pride of own personal, uh, personality and unwillingness to change, um, inappropriate seductive appearance or behavior of a sexual nature. Oh, my God. This some, is like everyone on the show. 
Uh, right. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... It te- yeah. Mm. Ne- a need to be the center of attention, low tolerance for frustration or delayed gratification, rapidly shifting emotional states that may appear superficial or exaggerated to others, tendency to believe that relationships are more intimate than they actually are, making rash decisions, blaming personal failures or disappointments on others, being overly dramatic and emotional, influenced by other suggestions, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Do you Doesn't have someone in mind when you're reading those? Because I do. Um, are you just thinking about you know the what? girl with the tattoo? I am just thinking about the girl with the tattoo. Well, I think you're onto something. But do you, I mean, that's the first thing that pops into my head. But maybe um, she, because she's I obsessed clearly with this Harry Styles, and maybe she wanted to guarantee that he saw it. Because if yeah, she put like, it on her back or something, it wouldn't have gone viral. And did you see all those memes about <laughs> no. her about him like making a face and being like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, nice, yeah, I did the gifts." Like him, like, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Gifts, <laughs> right. I mean, because she mustn't care if the attention is negative. Because no, right. nobody was like, "Oh, it looks so good." Nobody. Oh my gosh. I mean, to that's me, really I this is what I'm always saying about like people that commit heinous crimes i understand stand those more than i understand getting that tattoo i really do because i have had moments of rage and and irrational behavior i have never thought i will ruin my face for oh god i can't even i can't i can't it's terrible i can see i can't but i can see it i can totally i think this this is that's what but you know I mean, what? how long what until she say? gets that thing taken off? That's what I'm saying. I think it won't be that long. It's but. never going to look this normal, though. No, it won't. Never. Never, ever, ever. Oh, oh, oh. I can't. I, it, it, oh. Well, and don't I you have think that that tattoo artist is out of line for doing it? Most, if you were a tattoo artist, you would say, I can't do that. Of course. So, but you know what it is, Suze? It's like plastic surgery. Yeah. It's the same. You go to a reputable person. Yeah. They would also, say no. The tattoo is shitty. It really is. So she went to a person who isn't good and who, because anybody good would be like, a uh, heck no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. So that's what happens. It's exactly the same with where the desire, the, the need to get it. And the, fa- the, that, so, okay. So here's what I think happened. Somebody it suggested this to her, somebody, she got, somehow got this into her head. And then she started, you know how you have those like intrusive thoughts that you start thinking about. Yeah. And then those become, you start ruminating on the thought and then the thought turns into an obsession yeah. and then you can't get it out of your head. And then it feels like something you have to do and it doesn't matter. I think you see it more with like body dysmorphia yeah. and needing to go out and get plastic surgery. Yeah. But I would think that. It is it the, same the same category. Thought. Yes, yes, and the same, you know, process of of like thoughts. But okay, I'll tell you what I can't get out of my head. Just my opinion, and it's my what? third love bra. Mm, <laughs> nice, comfy boobs. <laughs> You're going to be an exhibitionist. <laughs> Might as well show off your tatas in a nice. <laughs> third love bras are so great because they decided this novel idea that bras should actually fit people. And they created half sizes, and they have over 70 sizes. And so whatever size and shape your boobs are, the third love is going to fit it. 
they have a perfect fit quiz that you can take, Fit Finder, and you go on and you're like, here's what my boobs are all about. And they're like, we got the bra for you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so comfortable. They're really high quality. And they're the only bras I wear. They have a new cotton collection, which are even more comfortable than they were before. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash brain now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash brain for 15% off today. Anyway. Yeah. Boobs. Boobs. Merbs. Um, Okay. That was always one of my favorite scenes from The Office. When Michael Scott, do you know what I'm talking about? It's ringing a bell. So Michael Scott <laughs> uses the uh, text or like like keyboard type to voice thing on the Microsoft <laughs> yes. computer. Yes. And he's like te- typing it all up, but like misspells it. And then the last thing he does is just type boobs and the computer goes, boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me laugh. I love Michael. I think about that probably once a week. <laughs> Oh, God, that tickles me. That's funny. <sighs> I like that you're thinking about boobs. I, you know. Well, you know what it was is that I listened to our episode on boobs on my way no, home. No, you didn't. I think, it was the one, I think it was the one where I was hopped up on cough syrup, and holy crap, oh. that was funny. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, I am hilarious on cough syrup. Yeah, you got silly. Oh, man. I got a... When I got back from New York, I immediately got sick. It was that thing where you're on a plane and then you get sick. Oh, yeah. I am not happy about it. Oh, Suze, I'm so sorry. I know. And then Lincoln got we, sick. Can we expect a future episode of you hopped up on Theraflu? I mean, that's a good point. I, I'm just hoping I get that husky voice that, like, Phoebe oh. has. You would be extra sexy with that because you have already like a nice higher pitched voice. So then you throw on that on top and it's like feminine raspy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Seductive. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. So I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Um, okay. So I read this article and it was actually by the Nina Shapiro who wrote the book hype. I've had her on the show. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. Okay. I think the title was, or the sort of tweet was, do butterflies cause nervousness or does nervousness cause butterflies? Ah, ooh. Okay, 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 okay. Do I get to guess? I guess, yeah. Yes. Okay, does nervousness cause butterflies? So. Or do butterflies cause nervousness? Uh, I think that something else happens first. So it is like a physiological response, but something else happens first, like another feeling. And then we assign a label to that feeling as I'm nervous. And then our body, like, like if we say this is nerves, our our body goes into like this, what is it called? Activates like the parasympathetic nervous system. So it like shuts down any like metabolic stuff happening in the stomach. And I heard butterflies is just a changing of like blood, Oh really? Is that like what they that say? To the stomach. But that's my guess. Oh. <laughs> so. Well, I don't understand any of that, but it sounds right. I mean, they were basically making. She was making the argument that. Um, you remember that person? I forget who it was. The scientist or whoever who said, like, you, if you see a bear, yes, yeah, that thing. Oh my god! What are their names? And you run, Aaron. 
It's yeah. not the fear that made you run. It's the running right. that made you scared. Right. That makes That's no sense. Because let me but, tell so, you, if yeah. I saw a bear and didn't run, I would still be scared. Well, okay, this is that. This is exactly what I'm saying. Okay, so I know. First, so first, something is happening in our environment, and it triggers a map of a memory. What? So that happens first. So like, that's what's going on. We look around and we see something. So you see a bear, okay. and in your mind, your ba- your mind goes a bear. I know what that is. A bear is super scary. A bear is something really dangerous. So it tells your body, you need to run right now. Yeah. And then your body runs, and the act of running because of the bear then sets off all these other, it's like a chain reaction, and then your heart rate goes up, and then the fear response becomes even more intense. Yeah. It's like the triggering of a panic attack, kind of. The panic attack is the end of the line, but in the very beginning is something that made the heart beat faster that then made yeah, you attach well, all these like, other labels to that. I would like to know what that something is, though, because to me that something is fear. <laughs> yeah, but it's fear as it relates to a memory from the past. Oh, okay. Like a past relationship with okay. it. Okay. So the first thing that, oh, my God, this is so appropriate because of a story that I read. Oh, my God, what a great segue. <laughs> so this is a perfect example. And we don't know if it's true or okay, not true, okay. but this was in CNN and all over the place, this little boy gets lost in the woods. He's, like, playing in his backyard. And this just happened, like, a few days ago. He gets lost in I the woods. I read the same thing. For three days. With, and he said he was with a bear. Yes. And he said, oh, I was fine. A bear kept me company. Okay. Right. If this little boy yeah. does not have a memory map, a map as in, like, a past memory or something that he's created some relationship in his mind between bears are scary or whatever. If that has not been mapped out or imprinted in his mind, then he won't have a fear response when he sees a bear. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Because it is our, I, it is in our mind that says there's so many ways to prove this. The, the placebo effect proves this. Hmm. People like uh, I was just watching Adam ruins everything, and he was debunking MSG. And yeah. people think, "Oh, I eat MSG and I get a headache." Well, no, you don't. You get a headache because you think MSG causes headaches. Right. So if you had no memory map for the headache being linked to MSG, you wouldn't get a headache. So you wouldn't have the fear response. You wouldn't have. So he has no memory map for fear for bears. So therefore, he's not scared of it. He didn't have an adrenaline response that caused a different reaction in his nervous system that made him run or made him. And then it goes in. Then you say, then you secrete fear hormones because adrenaline harm, like, you know, you have like a whole adrenal response. Then the bear smells those fear hormones. Then the bear gets. It's like a whole thing. I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying. And I think that it makes more sense to me with the fear thing, but I suppose it's the same with nervousness where you have a memory of something that made you have that feeling and then it comes back or whatever. Yes. If you have it in your head, speaking in public would kill me. (laughs) I will die. And somebody even said to you, you're going to need to go get up on that stage and do some public speaking. Yeah. If you, if that was your jam, right. you're like, yeah, cool, whatever, yeah. let's do it. Uh-huh. And if you think that that's going to kill you, you will start that response the second you hear that because your mind starts remembering, but you haven't even gone up on stage yet. Yeah. What, what gives me positive feelings though 
is not having to leave my desk to ship something. Mm, I love not leaving anywhere. <laughs> it's the, I have an opposite of a fear response for that. Yeah. And as you guys know, Stamps.com is the ticket for making that happen because with Stamps.com, you get all the uh, incredible services of the U.S. Postal Service right at your fingertips. So you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, package, or class of mail using your own computer and printer. So you just print it right out, slap it on your free digital scale. It calculates the exact postage so you won't overpay. And then... You put it in your mailbox, bippity boppity boo. They come pick it up, and you, you know you don't have to go anywhere. It's perfect. It's so convenient. It's easy, and you save money because you get little discounts and you get that scale. So that's why we use stamps.com. And now you can use it too. Our listeners will get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. See for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use stamps.com. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in brain candy. That's stamps.com. Enter brain candy. The word plus is my favorite word to hear when you're listing off free things that I get. (laughs) Right. Plus this, plus this. Well, that's because your favorite line is go on. Yeah. You always want there to be more. Right. But wait, there's more. Oh my God. Forget it. I'm, I'm loving it. When's the last time you did one of those, like as seen on TV impulse purchases? Oh, I only did that one time. Which was it a bacon maker or something? Yeah. Close. It was the, what it was the omelet maker. The, like, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the, where you just crack it, and but did you, you can say make other it was good too. or not. No, it was, it was terrible. It was oh. like, you know what? No, I did use it for a while, but <laughs> The punchline to that story is that I had ordered it when I was dating my girlfriend when we were together and then we broke up and it was like the get buy one, get one. And then when we broke up, two of them arrive and then it came with a like, you know, a a few weeks later, whatever, came with a cookbook called Cooking for One. (laughs) And I was like, damn, how do they know? That is so funny. And it was like right when we broke up. I'm like, this is my life. My life is – why is that like a sitcom well, <laughs> or like a, a, a – you know? And then do you remember yeah. when you got rid of it, when it didn't spark joy anymore? Uh, yeah, I gave it to a Goodwill when I moved to an apartment with uh, – Someone else. Yeah, I moved into a different apartment. Yeah, with more roommates. There were three roommates and it used to be just me. Add up how, so how many people have you lived with, not including real world? Oh. Yeah. Oh, good question. Okay, you think of yours too. Okay. So I lived with the first people I moved in with. Yeah, I moved. Oh my God, this was funny. I moved to San Francisco and I was really young. I was like 17, maybe, yeah, 17. And the ad was on Craigslist and it said, artists and dancer looking for creative type to live with their, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was a great place right across the street from the beach in the outer sunset of San Francisco. And then I find out that the dancer, I'm thinking like ballet. Yeah. Oh. I did not know she meant exotic. (laughs) Right. And she was a, like... Yeah, she did a whole nothing bunch of stuff that. like that. Yeah, nothing. But I learned, yes. And then that year I marched in the parade in San Francisco for sex workers' rights. Cool. With her, proudly. Yeah. Anyways, so, okay. One, two, <laughs> three, <laughs> four, very five, six, seven, uh, seven, eight, 
Nine. Oh my God. Ten. This is crazy. Ten. I think ten. Oh, nope. Eleven. Oh my God. Uh, I think somewhere between eleven and thirteen. I'm sure there's like. I two cannot believe you've lived there. with that many people and none of them are me. Oh well, you know what? None of them were really friends. Right. Right. I I think that that was by design. Yeah, that's because I did not. I want. I'm a lone wolf at home. Like I wanted <laughs> my. Wolf. I am a. Yeah, I'm like an introvert at home and really enjoy. Well, you know what it was is this first these first roommates I had. When I decided to move out, their biggest complaint about me right. was that I kept to myself. Yeah, too much. that's stupid. I don't get people that don't I like, was like that. What the heck? My your biggest complaint is that I leave you alone. Yeah, that to me is insane. Of course, that's exactly that's the qualities I'm looking for in a roommate. Right. So we had different ideas of what we wanted in a roommate. So, wow. um, yeah. So then, and I lived with mostly dudes. So that was it. Oh, that's smart. Actually, yeah. Most of the time it was all guys and lesbians. So that's it. <laughs> Have you ever lived with a straight woman besides the dancer? Uh, I assume she once. was straight. Uh, no, actually she was oh, lesbian she was. too. Uh-huh. At, was she at a, is there such thing as a lesbian strip club or? No, no. She was stri- oh, okay. at a straight And club. Do you yeah, think yeah. that changed her view of men made it worse? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. No. I do. Yes, I do. What did she I say really about do. it? Because she was like a dominatrix too. Okay. Yeah, so I think she enjoyed. Wow, the, that is. I would love to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she probably would talk to you. Because, so she's. She's a, also my. Did yeah. she tell them that she was a les? A I'm sure she didn't. No, she didn't. I think oh that would. I don't. God. Yeah, she has probably a whole persona. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean that cannot be a flattering picture of men. To work in a club. No, 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 no. Right. And I think she did like, like home like how out calls oh, or i don't know what you calls. call them like house like sort of I don't right know, okay well good for her yeah um okay so, yeah. yeah your total yeah, is a lot higher than mine yeah what's yours well, i had my first husband <laughs> <laughs> and then when i got a divorce i lived with my lesbians uh kelly and heather uh-huh. and then my second husband <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah, I almost forgot about the lesbians because well, that was just a few months. You you just have long term relationships with yeah. I just like, marry we're not a with lot the of person, people. but I mean yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, I man, lived at home until I got married. Yeah. Oh wow. I know it's weird. That's what I'm talking about with my mom about oh. you know how I was because I felt like I had to take care of her. You know. Oh my god, that's even harder. Yeah. Well, and that prolongs the launching of the child. I'll say. And so my only time away was on the challenges and... Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, of course you went. (laughs) So, of course you went. Well, that's what I think about a lot of these people who come on the challenge. It's like one or two things. Either, A, you're in a position where, wow, lucky you, you have a family that financially bankrolls your life and you can afford to just drop everything and leave your responsibilities for three to four months, or you're in a situation where you don't have any support and you really are in a place where you could drop anything because there isn't a lot that you have. There isn't a real foundation and you need this so bad. So it really creates two groups who are one is like seeking attention and used to getting everything handed to them on a silver platter. And the other one who's, 
desperately trying anything to hold on to what they got and will go to desperate attempts to try to work their way up this like social hierarchy. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird because you'd think given that my first excuse me, my first show was twenty years ago, twenty one years ago. You would think that I would have already ma- like wow, twenty one years yeah, ago. Yeah, my season could drink now. <laughs> Oh, it's 21 okay. years old. But like... I was on season 21 of the wow. real world. So that is insane that it was 21 years yeah. ago. And you'd think though, then that give, had given me enough time to sort of figure it all out and work through all the crap or good and bad that comes with that. I still learn stuff almost every day about the people that yeah. go on, the situation with reality TV, the way that it ha- impacted my life. All of these things I still am working through, and of course. it's weird. Like, it's partially because I'm still connected with you and other people, and it's still mm-hmm, part of my mm-hmm. life. And I now have the podcast network, and a lot of the people that we have on our network have been on shows as well. So I probably think mm-hmm. about it more than your average bear, but I don't know. I'm still, yeah. like, baffled by a lot of it and what you're describing, mm-hmm. like the people that do it and why they go back. And there's a lot to it. There is. There's also a lot. That's why I think it needs to be studied. Well, yeah. That's why I'm depending on you to sort it all out. I am. I'm going to. I think I'm going to do us proud, I hope, and keep this ball rolling. So you don't feel like you want to keep it out of your life? You actually want to delve into it? No, I want to, like, study it from, like, an academic perspective. Yeah. You know, like, if I'm going to pursue a PhD or a PsyD, it would be in the effects of reality television on mental health. Well, I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> I know. It write, It writes itself. It really does. So, you know, easy A. <laughs> right. That won't take long. To, right. Um, right. Another thing that doesn't take long is cooking HelloFresh meals because Ooh, the hard work's yes. already done for you. Dude, I had the best burgers the other Wait, night. Wait, I think I had them too. Oh my God, Suze. With the caramelized yes. onions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I came home and the house, like, it smelled like that. Oh, dude. That was, that's by far my favorite one I've made. I don't rem- I think they were called like And by cheesy- made, I mean my husband made it. <laughs> and then we, did you get the quesadillas? Oh, they're in my refrigerator. They, we I'm had those last night. They were so good and so easy, oh, and that's pineapple the thing. chicken. Yeah. yeah, is that not only are they tasty, but these are super easy to make. And it for us, like by the end of the day, we're like we do not want to be dealing with finding the growth, going you know all the stuff that you have to do to prep. Same-sies. And this is so much easier. They just send you the packet and tell you what to do, and then you still have a home cooked meal, but without the the chore of all the shopping and prep and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and then I love how you could then take the recipe and use it on your own. Like, you yes, know. we always save them. Now we have a book. <laughs> I, I'm punch. one step away from three hole punching them, <laughs> and because I have the binder already, I just have to hole punch. And them. they're so affordable, so it's less than ten dollars per serving and free shipping. And to me, that's such a great deal, especially if you're a busy person, you can't be bothered. Um, and for a total of sixty dollars off. You can get, it's $20 off your first three boxes. Just visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy60 and enter BrainCandy60 at checkout. So you're going to get that $60 off, $20 off the first three boxes 
when you visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy60 using promo code BrainCandy60. It's so great. You should definitely try it. Um, mm. You know, I mentioned earlier that I had read a book and the book talked about Pythagoras and all this stuff. Well, I've interviewed the author and now he's going to share more about it. Um, and we're going to have him on right now. His name is oh. Martin Cohen and the book is called, you're going to love this, I Think, Therefore I Eat, The World's Greatest oh. Minds Tackle the Food Question. And oh, he's um, he's a philosopher and he studies philosophy and he goes back and looks at what all the big thinkers had to say about food. Oh, it cool. is so awesome. I mean, cuz I think we need to listen to food and sleep. Right? Because cuz that right. we've been dealing with oh this God, so, cool. for so long, these questions of like what does my body want and need and like sometimes they mm. have cuckoo crazy ideas like this one guy thought that uh Gosh, there were so many silly ones. Let me try to remember. Oh, tell me, like, tell me. Oh, my God, like, I love this stuff. They'd be like, you have to eat a bucket of honey or, you know, like. Right. Oh, my God. It's so weird that you said honey because that was like in my brain. Really? Maybe because we yes, were talking about bears. that was so weird. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my God. That was so But weird. then he does a really good job of kind of breaking it down and saying, what can we glean from this that is helpful today? Because. He tackles paleo and, you know, like, yes. is that a good method or is it sort of, you know, a gimmick, um, the gluten-free stuff? Um, and th- But then it's also just fun to see, like, what did Plato have to say about yeah. what or what we should be eating? And, you know, it just goes through meat and berries and wine and all that stuff. And it was just, it was a fun read. But it also got me thinking about food. And in the end, I think the the lesson is like everybody's different and everybody needs yeah. different things. It's not like one size fits all. And what works so for you. Past episode. Yeah, like what works for you might not work for somebody else. And like kind of use your common sense. <laughs> like it, it really does distill it down to like use your noggin. I love it. But anyway, it's really fun, and he is a very fancy British man that I, I really was enjoying just talking to him because it sounds so fun. But you should check out his book, I Think Therefore I Eat, The World's Greatest Minds Tackle the Food Question by Martin Cohen. Let's welcome Martin to the show. All right, Martin, thank you so much for coming on the Brain Candy Podcast. I love your book. Congratulations on it. Well, thanks so much, Susie. How does it feel now that it's out in the world and people are reading it and consuming it? Well, um, it's, it's, it's obviously good to do that, but uh, I would like more people to be reading it, um, <laughs> partly because at the moment there's a huge interest in food issues. There's a thing um, being rolled out which calls itself the Eat Lancet Commission, and it's pre- supposing everyone should change what they eat in a very radical way. I don't know if you've heard about no, that. No, what is the scoop on that? Ah, well, it's... It's a mixture of people. Some of them are in America, but some of them are in, in England. But the secret about them is they're actually mostly vegans. Ah. Um, I'm actually sympathetic to vegetarianism. I'm not quite so sympathetic to veganism. <laughs> um, but when you've got a very strong opinion on food, if, I think if you've taken someone to a restaurant who's a vegan, you, you'll know it's not necessarily great fun. And <laughs> Their recipe, which they're hiding a little bit, but their recipe is incredible. They want people to eat lentils. 
And I don't actually like eating lentils either. <laughs> what's what's their, their argument? What is the reason why they're so into lentils? Well, they say that lentils have less impact on the environment. Um, oh. that you, they're, they're actually pushing a kind of very big, big uh, agro, as the phrase is, um, kind of model where you grow certain crops which are then made by high-tech companies into new kinds of foods because you there's a lot of these sort of fake meats being talked about now. And there's there's actually some very rich people, billionaires, who have got food interests. And they're, they're just looking at how to make the market shift in their direction. And it's quite quite sinister and disgraceful. And, and the media generally are totally uncritical. They're, they are lapping it up. What, why do you think that is? Do you think that they just don't know enough about it? Or that what do you think the reason is that they're not critical? Ah, well, I, I'm not allowed to say it, but I think it's a little bit like the global warming thing. It's a very complex issue. Yeah. And there's a lot of money to be made by going along with it. So the, on the food thing, I, I, I see people um, writing. I mean, they're well-meaning, but when you yeah. when you actually look at the details of the proposals and you see will result in a transfer of money away from the very poorest people in the world the whole world is some of these farmers who, who oh, rely on yeah. cows and things <laughs> you know? yes and then you've got these very rich people with their biotech industries and, and their odd um glamorous foods all of which have been flown in actually this is the irony of it the, oh my the, the gosh that the, the, the fashionable foods have often been flown in from abroad from some of the <laughs> wow some i never even thought about that yeah. I've noticed, though, even at trendier restaurants and things, they'll try the sort of sustainable food options in terms of protein, like crickets even. Have you noticed this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I did talk about that briefly in my book. Yeah. I looked at crickets and um, insect diets. And uh, I, the UN, the UN is behind a lot of these proposals, and it, it's a grand organisation. And I, I, I'm get very sceptical about the UN. It, it often has half-baked ideas that serve special interests. Um, the talk about insect food being the solution to humanity's problems it doesn't add up because there are a lot of insects, but it, there's actually very little food on them. If you try to live <laughs> right. on the insects in your house, you would soon get very hungry. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem worth the effort, that's for sure. I, it's sort of back to front, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we've... <laughs> right, it doesn't appeal to me, that's for sure. That's not my cup of tea. I was wondering, um, I, I found your book to be so... Uh, it, it felt so clever. It was such a great way to talk about something that, of course, there's a lot of books about food. There's a lot of books about diets and all sorts of that topic. But I was so impressed with the way that you approached it. But I didn't know why, how you came up with this idea. Where did it come from? Yeah, you're absolutely right about how much talk there is about food. And of course, I was advised that if I did write a book on food, I, I could be part of this huge conversation. It's actually very difficult because there are so many people talking. Um, but um, at the same time, what, what got me going as a philosopher, my background being philosophy and social science as well, um, 
with all the contradictions, yes. um, the bad arguments, which you see everywhere, and it drives you mad after a while, all the bad arguments. They're, they're, often they're based partly on a cherry-picked reading of evidence um, and partly on, on not having read any evidence, which, of course, <laughs> is wasteful. Um, for, for example, the fact is, when you, what got me really going was you look at the history of food advice from the governments, like the, the U.S., um, agencies who advised people that they had to cut down on fatty foods, if you will yes. remember all that. Yes. It's such a big issue, and the advice was pushed for decades. Yes. And probably killed a lot of people because it was such bad advice. You know, we're talking about something that actually kills people down the line. Yes. And they weren't really very apologetic. They eventually said, oh, actually, it's all wrong. And they just <laughs> moved on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> but how did they get away with that is what I don't get because it seemed I don't even really understand how that came about. Was it that the science was incomplete or was it just that there was a way for them to make money on these low fat? I don't know. What was it? Yeah. Well, that, no, but this is this is really what I found interesting, um, Susie, was looking at the how how did it happen? Yeah. And it seems that it, it was more to do with the sociology of it than anything else, that you've got a small group, um, maybe only one or two people. Um, in, in this case in, in America, the, 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 there was a pr person who, who managed to become the uh, sort of official spokesman on health issues, managed to edit the report. The, the same with the global warming. You get people who put themselves in a position and they write the reports. Then the reports yeah. get circulated all around. But the, the thing is that once you've got an official report, a lot of people will go along with it and they will repeat it. Yes. And and the, what the social scientists call that is they call it cascade theory after the waterfalls. And the thing is you've got just a few people, maybe even just one person, but if they can start that cascade, soon you've got the things where it says, all right, 5,000 experts in food say you must stop doing this. Mm -hmm. All the doctors and the advisory bodies will then say, well, look, all the scientists and all the, these experts have said this. We also support that position. And it's this sort of consensus grows up out of nothing. So I, 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 I think that the people are not actually necessarily motivated by money. It can mm -hmm. just be they've got a strong opinion. This is where vegans come in. You see, they're, yeah. they're people with strong opinions. Um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. When when they start on an opinion, and they, it's also this theory of tipping points, which is a great a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. But you can suddenly get everyone following a certain message, and and it can take decades for that to to sort of cancel itself out by simply by being the wrong message and um, having catastrophic consequences. And that's a tragedy. But people, we, we do as a society tend to follow rather than think independently. And, and that's why it's a philosophical issue for me. Well, and it seems to me that this isn't a problem that's going to be going away considering that um, the digital age has created a demand for content, even if it's not reliable or truthful or <laughs> accurate. And so these things tend to be spread even more, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. They talk about things going viral on the internet. Yes. And in fact, 
that metaphor again virus is from medicine but it, it is actually what happened before the internet age you you had certain things i said a report could do it um but you have a certain idea um and it's repeated by a few people but each of those repeat it to a few more people and it can just by geometrical multiplication become uh, an overwhelming um consensus around something um the internet is particularly dangerous because there's no one necessarily filtering right. there's no curator <laughs> yeah yeah um, so i i'm really disappointed about the the mainstream press um uh, i i saw it today i shouldn't probably say it because it'll be annoying me but I saw it <laughs> <laughs> the Guardian, who I have written for for 20 years on and off, they 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 have a, someone who they call their special food reporter. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure she knows a lot about food. I'm sure she does. But she weighed in on on this uh, this issue about things like whether cows are causing global warming. It, there's hardly anyone thinks cows are causing global warming. The the man who started a lot of the global warming alarm, um, Michael Mann. So one of the leading voices for saying we must all be changing our habits to stop global warming. He said very firmly just a week ago, he said, I don't see the dairy, the livestock issue as relevant to stopping global warming. Here you are, you've got a paper on the front page with a special food correspondent insisting that, mm. sure enough, cows and cattle and, and cheese, dairy, eggs, all these old foods have to be cut back <laughs> um, in order to, as they put it, to save the planet. And, and that's a very grand claim. For <laughs> <laughs> and they're only, you know, we've all got to be a little bit modest when we talk about these things, but the general media have become, uh, I suppose they're competing with the internet. They've become very rhetorical and they dash things off and they're, they're not grounding them. New York Times is probably the last paper that still checks its facts. <laughs> well, and it causes a dilemma for your average consumer because I think people generally want to do what's right in terms of their body. They don't want to die or get sick, and but they get conflicting um, advice and well, things change over time. And I think sometimes it does make people want to give up and just do whatever they want. So what is your advice to those people? Well, um, first, first of all, I, it's very surprising how people will take advice from anyone who has a certificate. And that's, that's well, and you thing. sound extra fancy to us Americans too. So we're inclined to listen to you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very good. <laughs> but unfortunately, no, it, it goes back, um, to the 19th century and, and and there was a debate about homeopathy mm. and of course homeopathy is often linked to things like not believing in global warming it's considered a quack uh, an illogical thing but the man who started the whole homeopathic movement was talking really about don't do the things that doctors advising you because in his day the things that were being advised by mainstream doctors were awful I mean they included taking very toxic chemicals in large doses. And people did it, though. They, they would see a doctor. A doctor would say, right, well, literally, they would say, have a grain of arsenic every day. And they would <laughs> No, <it>. no. <laughs> and no. they would. And he, his point was, 
just because someone's got a certificate, you can't necessarily believe them. Yeah. And the principle I'm offering, Samuel Hanneman is the man, the principle I have is take these little pills because they have nothing in them, <laughs> which they don't. They're, they are incapable of causing you any harm. They may or may not cure you, but they won't actually <laughs> make you worse. <laughs> uh-huh. So the homeopathic thing was a response to to the extremes of science claiming it knew about things when it didn't. And it's, funnily enough, it's been reversed now, and homeopathy has become synonymous with um, sort of being a fake thing and mm-hmm. a cheat. But I, I think when you look at the history of it, it, it it's a very humane and a very um, wise approach, even if actually it doesn't cure anything. Mm-hmm. It never really claimed to be a cure. It's just you see it as something that can be helpful. Yeah, it, it has. In fact, the homeopathic treatments are widely used in poorer countries. Yeah. Um, and they're partly used because the drugs are too expensive. Yeah. So rather than tell people we're not giving you any treatment, you're given a homeopathic treatment. And statistically, homeopathic treatments cure a certain number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe what's called the placebo effect, which is just that any old thing, if people think it's a treatment, helps them. But there's no harm in that, it seems yes. to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I totally. We talk about this a lot on the show. My uh, co-host is getting her master's in uh, psychotherapy, and we talk a lot about the studies and the placebo effect. And I mean, sometimes it works, and w- whether it's you know just sort of yeah. psychosomatic, whatever. Who cares? The, the scientists hate it. Yeah. They, they shouldn't hate it. You, you, you should, we should embrace it. I think it can feel overwhelming for people to sift through what is reliable or effective and what isn't. And whenever you were, I imagine this book took a lot of research and a lot of work. And I was wondering if along the way you changed your mind about anything. Um. Well, yes, it was. It was as a slightly pompous phrase, but it was a journey of exploration for me. Mm. Um, I started off with just the, the sort of the little hook of a controversy. It was really the sugar controversy that got me going. Actually, um, people saying that um, sugar sugar was so so evil, um, partly because that linked with an ethical. Uh, dilemma that I've raised many, many years ago. I, I raised the possibility of governments um, banning sugary products from children, mm-hmm. putting taxes on them, having big adverts warning about them. And I, I did that just as an example of how, <laughs> how how governments might overreach and how we wouldn't approve it. It was supposed to be an absurd, absurd picture I was painting. But all of those things have become very normal now. That is, is where we are. You, you've got governments um, saying that there must be sugar taxes, that they've got to stop the children having certain things. And so from from the sort of practical example like sugar, I then got to the, looking at the fats. And then, then you get to things like the oil, canola oil. And I didn't know a thing about canola oil before I started the book. But when, when you look into it, you're horrified. Yeah. <laughs> A thing that used to be considered a poison is is ground up and crushed with an awful um, chemical called hexane, and and then it's bleached and it's uh, you know, all these things, and then it's described as 
the second most healthy oil that there is after olive oil, which is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. But people, people accept it. And it is, in fact, it is, I believe, the most widely consumed oil now. Wow. Why is that? Is it uh, affordable? Um, yeah, it's cheap because it's yeah. rubbish, you see. It, <laughs> it, it, it's very profitable. It's made from, from a variety of rapeseed oil. And uh, the, the, the thing is that most people don't actually know we're getting it. You're getting it in processed foods. And in restaurants, they use it. As you say, it's a little bit cheaper than a proper oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it comes now with this this claim that it's a very healthy oil, which is claimed developed by biochemists, which, uh, as Michael Pollan, the food writer, has rightly pointed out, they have successfully turned up food debates into a form of biochemistry, which baffles everyone, including me. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not. It's it's clearly not 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 the way to look at food and how it relates to the body. That's what my book showed me. is It's very very complex, and in fact, it may be impossible to say. That's what, partly why some people have allergies, other people don't have allergies. You mm. can't you can't really make hard and fast statements about how a food will affect people. I was surprised to see. Uh, these folks from a long, long time ago, some of them had unusual advice, but a lot of their advice I felt like was very wise and surprisingly still Mm -hmm. applicable. Um, I was surprised to see um, Pythagoras in there uh, and the the rule of three and the three meals per day. Can you talk about that? Yeah. That was fun. Um, Yeah, no... uh, uh, This is a slightly parallel issue, but when when I do mainstream philosophy, um, people tend to talk about um, contemporary philosophy and Plato and Aristotle. And behind all of that are these rather odd figures like Pythagoras, um, who who lived 3,000 years ago. And we hardly ever talk about people who lived that long ago. But they had such extraordinary ideas and they had incredible influence. So it's sometimes said that the whole of modern philosophy actually comes from Plato, but all of Plato's ideas are there in Pythagoras, mm. who, who seems to have been like almost a sort of um, a guru with his own religious sect. And part of his guru activities were they, they had a very special diet which, as you mentioned, I describe in the book. And it was a very nice diet, um, aesthetically. It was sort of um, gathering the fruits and nuts from the forest. And the whole point about them was they were they were against any cruelty. They said you couldn't have a healthy food if it involved cruelty. And, and I agree with that. But that doesn't mean that you can't have... To me, that doesn't mean that you can't have uh, killing animals because it might seems very controversial, but... If, if you have a, a, a natural world, it depends on a certain amount of death, so that we have a cycle. Um, and the objection to modern farming, to me, going back to that, is, is, is that not that you kill the animal, but you don't give it a decent life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, Pythagoras was definitely, nothing got killed. Right. <laughs> but you gathered food, and, and that 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 was one of his very influential thoughts, 
But another one was about everything has a mathematical harmony. And this is really fed into all our ideas about the universe and yeah. modern physics and also chemistry. Um, these mathematical relationships, he was one of the first people to realise that they really underlie reality. And so extraordinary figure and almost completely ignored by contemporary philosophy. It's uh, funny, though, because why what is the deal with him and beans? Martin, yeah, I was a, like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So there's this famous saying that um, if you're going to be a one of his followers, you must not <laughs> have any beans. And the, the thing is, it seems to come from um, a 20th century um, popularizer, Bertrand Russell, um, who wrote one of the many great books on philosophy. But in one of them, he, he was mocking Pythagoras and he was mocking this statement that you shouldn't eat beans. Um, it seems really that when Pythagoras referred to don't have any beans, he didn't actually literally say that. This is all written in ancient Greek, as right. you can imagine. What he said was, do not use beans, meaning gambling because beans were used as a way of gambling in, in ancient right. times. So, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> this whole thing, it's gone on. People, people, hardly <laughs> anyone is aware of the, the truth about it, if you like, the correction. And they are aware of the myth. And often the myth, myths run ahead of tr true stories. Right. Often the myths are more fun. That's exactly right. The myth, the myth is more fun. The gambling thing, okay. But beans being evil, that's cute. Um, tell me what your thoughts are on paleo. Yeah, so paleo, um, and I, that's one of the things that I hadn't looked at until I wrote the book. Um, it's all the rage it's though, right? Hmm? It's all the rage though. Everyone's talking oh, about it. That's right. That's right. But at the time, uh, partly because I was coming from Europe, you see, partly because of that, I hadn't really noticed that the whole movement on paleo and it links to what I'm saying, funny enough, mm -hmm. it links a bit to the eat uh, eat lancet vegan proposal because in a way it's the opposite yes <laughs> effect and counter effect there um the paleo diet i i was actually a little bit harsh on it in 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 the book but <laughs> that's the philosoph philosophical side you see because i objected to the claim that there was a a standard st diet that we all used to have and that therefore we need to get it back again that's a that's a position which is it's sometimes called the naturalistic fallacy, the idea that what's natural is what's right. So I was objecting to that. Secondly, it, it clearly wasn't true because what, really the world is very diverse and you had some communities, many communities that lived near water and near the sea, and the reason they did that was they fished. Then the other kind of community, which you might still have in places like the Amazon, were gathering the, the fruits of the forest, and the the picture that's painted in the paleo diet is of uh, sort of male dominated as well. Mm. Um, hunters killing um, oxen or something, you know, bison and oxen. Um, that would be very difficult in the Stone Age because remember, all you've got is stones. That's by definition. Um, you, you you've probably got sticks if we're generous, but they were, the idea that you can get these wild animals and kill them would be very difficult but how you would actually eat them would be difficult as well so it's, it's a little bit of a, a bogus 
picture yeah. that he painted to justify the diet. And they should have justified the diet without the bogus picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we just said, though, people love a bogus picture. So it probably was helpful in spreading the message for better or worse, I suppose. Yeah, and and elements in the paleo diet are, are quite good. Um, the other one that's, that's quite, they, they rules out is grains. Uh, as you'll know, they, they say no breads. Um, the sort of the idea is that in the Stone Age, you didn't have people planting crops. And that that is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that there weren't grains or those kinds of foods. And in fact, I didn't know it until I looked into it. But in fact, there are there are archaeological digs where they found evidence of Stone Age people eating grains. But they're wild ones, you see. There, there were small amounts of them. And the... the even if even if people had hardly any grain, it doesn't really mean that it's bad for you. Which could bring us to the gluten debate. I don't know if you. Yeah, what's the scoop? What do you think? Yeah, so the fascinating thing is that um, some very high proportion of people are gluten intolerant. Some, some I forget what the figure is. It might be like fifteen percent. That's people who think they're gluten intolerant and then the real figure of who's gluten intolerant is only like one tenth of one percent yeah. so you've got I, I, some of some of my relatives say they're gluten intolerant <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to them you, you just have to you just have to smile don't you and say oh yes i'm sorry i shouldn't have <laughs> bread. Yeah. right more but, bread for me then yeah yeah <laughs> it, 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 again, it's it, it's an example of what we started talking about. It was how ideas spread. Yeah. And and it is irrational. And to some extent, I think rationality isn't everything, but it's a sort of guide, um, a sort of guide rope or whatever. If If you leave it too far behind, it becomes dangerous. Whenever you completed your book... Uh, and I know it's not a monolith. Obviously, there's all different people that you explore their ideas. But uh, what do you think they would think of us now? What, the, the ancient philosophers? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think, as you say, there's a lot of quite quite sensible and yeah. reassuring stuff. And uh, it's people saying, you know, give up all the fancy foods, just have brown bread and a piece of cheese. And it's nice to hear. And it's amazing that people are saying this, you know. But, yeah. Long, so long ago, in periods we think where people are, are are going to be very different, they say things which are very, very much like a, a someone might say to you today. Um, Rousseau is another one who has this this touch that he, he he talks about the pleasure of a picnic, you know. And and Rousseau is a, a 18th century French philosopher, a very grand figure. But he just, he just says, "What I like, I don't like a fancy meal. I, I like to with with my loved one. He was a great lover." Um, I like to just sit on uh, on the t the window ledge, look out over the town, and, and have a bottle of wine and a sandwich. Um, and it's nice that people talk like that. Yes. But, but I've, I've slightly forgotten where we started. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, I just wondered what they would think of us now. Yeah. So I think that most of the philosophers would be would think we've lost our way, rather, mm -hmm. on food issues, because after all. We have become remote from food. It's all strange. Yes. We don't know how they were made. Yeah. If we did know, we might not like it. Um, we're not really cooking much. Um, so we've sort of lost the control over what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, if we go out to to restaurant or 
bar or a fast food thing. Again, we're eating stuff which we don't really, really know what it is. Um, and for the vast majority of the philosophers, they do seem to say, let, let's get back in, in more direct contact with food because it's so basic to us. Mm -hmm. But however, there is one, the one person in the book who I mentioned who goes completely opposite way, which is Jean-Paul Sartre. And he says, on the contrary, yeah. um, <laughs> it's when we change food that we, we put our human stamp on it. And, and he says, for example, you could have a peaches, which you have from, uh, from a tree or something, you know, uh, a real peach. Or you can have it in a tin where it's been peeled and sliced and it's in a syrupy sauce. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'd much rather have the tinned peach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he, he, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And it's, 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 it's good that philosophy does contain this, this sort of um, yes. two sides tugging away to try and get at the truth. Um, there's something in, in this business of direct contact with your food. So if you grow yeah. your own things on a little patch of land or if you've only got a window box where you can have window herbs, um, there's something quite reassuring about that. Um, and, and then again, there's also something that we, is something important in this thing about you go to the cupboard and you get a tin out. <laughs> True, <laughs> right. Very quick. And it saves you, you know, it is an achievement to be able to get food like that. That is a human achievement. We shouldn't just write it off and say, like the paleo people would say, no, no, a Stone Age man didn't have tins. No, he, he, he didn't only didn't have tins, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Yes. <laughs> food. Yes. I like I really like that about your book too cuz it didn't feel like a prescription a one size fits all type of lesson it was broader and I I found it to be very helpful um but we ask everybody one last thing if you'll indulge me um yep. which is what do you keep in the trunk of your car if you have a car um what well, food wise <laughs> they could be um but no just in general Oh, <laughs> I know. We think of it as um, indicative of where you are in your life. It tells a lot about you, so that's why we ask. Um, well, uh, it's a funny question to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say, in in a way, I keep a, a map. Okay. <laughs> and that might sound like a boring thing to reply, but after all, a map is a kind of thing that I try and do in a book like my food book. It is a kind of map. Oh guide to all the food issues now you say i'm not really saying do this or do that i'm saying look there's this here and there's that there oh i love that <laughs> you know what is crazy nobody has ever said a map ever so ah. you think it's boring but it's actually uniquely you in this case yeah i love that and it is indicative of where you are in your life i love it so much well i hope everybody reads i think therefore i eat it's a wonderful book it is fascinating and fun and helpful and so we'll spread the word and make sure all of our listeners wow. uh get get a copy thank you very much Susie. and it's really nice to have a talk with you it was so nice talking to you i hope you have a wonderful evening and um i can't wait to see what you do next okay thanks again thank Bye. you martin 